It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. With Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants in multiple ways. You can interact with us here on the program. You can give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, as well as Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants will begin two straight days of joint practices with the Cleveland Browns today in Cleveland leading up to Sunday's preseason game. So we will certainly get into that. And we'll also look ahead to what to expect in the preseason game as we're expecting some of the starters to get some work in this game as they ramp up an inch closer to the start of the regular season. So a lot to unravel over these next 60 minutes, and so glad that everybody could tune in. Paul, looking forward to the next 60 minutes with you. How's everything on your end today? Very good, Lance. Good to talk to you again. It is a big day with the Giants out in Cleveland to start practicing with the Browns. But again, to our baseball brothers, I do want to salute the Yankees. They got out the brooms, and now the Red Sox are choking on their dust. I think it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes, there's no doubt about that. In the New York City area, a lot of baseball fans are pretty happy with the Yankees' turnaround. It's quite amazing that they're now setting the tone in the wild card race, considering what they look like a little over a month ago. But, hey, that's the law of average, as I said yesterday, with respect to baseball. Now, the law of average in football, we're not necessarily at that point where we're going to analyze that because we're not in the midst of the regular season. But today is the ability to test the waters against an unfamiliar foe. And that is the Cleveland Browns, is the Giants will have scripted practices with Cleveland. Joe Judge and Kevin Stefanski, their friends going back to their high school days in Philadelphia. And this is going to be an opportunity for the Giants' offensive line to go up against a very strong defensive front. And also, I would say the Giants' receiving core is going to be tested by a Cleveland secondary that has really been revamped this offseason and getting a lot of guys back from injury that did not have an opportunity to play last year. Specifically, Radarius Williams' brother, Greedy Williams, was hurt, and Denzel Ward was in out of the lineup. So this to me is a really good test overall for the Giants today. I do agree with you, Lance, although I believe Grant Delpit is not going to be available for the practices this week. And as you recall, uh, he was a very high-rated safety coming out in the draft. And uh, from what I understand, he, he won't be available to Cleveland. But you will see the likes of Denzel Ward, I believe, and Greedy Williams. Ronnie Harrison is their starting strong safety who's going to have to basically be very careful because without Delpit, from what I understand looking at the uh, Cleveland reports from their uh, media out there, uh, it's, it's a very, very thin situation at safety for them. So they're, they're going to be very watchful on Harrison to make sure he doesn't get tangled up in anything. Which is understandable. They did bring over John Johnson the third from the Rams, and they also added Troy Hill, but he's a corner, not a safety. So those are the familiar names that I'm sure Browns fans are pretty excited about because those two guys 
were part of one of the best secondaries in the NFL last year with LA. Now they come over to Cleveland, and as I mentioned, you get some of these guys back full health. Greg Newsom, remember, is somebody they also are adding because they drafted him in the first round this year. So with the exception of your point about Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit, and maybe not having a lot of depth at the strong safety position, they are in good shape overall at those other positions. And then when you look at what the Giants are going to have to contend with up front, well, we know what Miles Garrett could do. They then add Malik Jackson, Jadevian Clowney, two veteran defensive linemen. Andrew Billings is also somebody that's been in the league. So once again, if the Giants, at least the coaching staff, if they want to see, okay, what can our starters do against some veteran players who have been in the league, who are proven, this to me is going to be a good first litmus test as they move forward here before the start of the regular season. Well, there's even a guy in Tackerist McKinley, the former Falcon, a couple years ago had like seven sacks. I remember when he came out of school in the draft, a lot of people thought that this is a UCLA product who's going to wreck some havoc in the pass rush game. He had been an underachiever, and now he's got second life with the Browns, and he is also part of that edge rush mix that is going to test the Giants' tackles. And this is exactly what you want out of a joint practice. You want the ability for your players to go up against guys that they have not seen on a daily basis in practice. Because we've heard the coaches talk about things that we brought up on this program. And I've said this constantly. When you go up against a teammate, you get a really good read. Two weeks against the same teammate, you pretty much know their strengths and weaknesses. You don't know what Malik Jackson does on every single down because you haven't gone up against him. So that's why I think this is pretty beneficial for a lot of the Giants players who are relatively young and have not been in the NFL for many years. So to go up against a veteran, if you're one or two years into your NFL career, and clearly over the course of last season, the rookie class and even the undrafted guys, you're only seeing a short portion of the NFL. You're not seeing everybody because you're limited in terms of the opponent. So now you may be going up against a team you didn't see in 2020, and you're going to get them also in a preseason environment. This, to me, is extremely beneficial, especially for the young guys. Maybe the veterans are saying to themselves, okay, this is not our first rodeo. This is nothing new. I've been part of joint practices. But the exposure you're going to get for your first and your second-year players, I don't know if you can necessarily put into terms or put into justice how truly beneficial that is. Well, the one thing that Stefanski talked about to the Cleveland media, he said that uh, they will get a lot of situational work, specific situational work. We've discussed this before. The coaches know what they want to test on their own teams, and they will go to the other coach, as uh, Judge and Stefanski did yesterday, and they will map out, look, this is what I need to test my guys on, so can you give us this? and show us this and do this to our guys so that I can push them and find out where their bar is. Now, Stefanski said there will be a full practice dedicated uh, to the red zone. They did that the other day in Cleveland with their own team, but there's going to do a bunch of red zone work with the Giants on day number two, which will be tomorrow. That is Friday. And there's going to be two-minute drills on both days as each of the teams also wants to heavily work on their two-minute packages. So that's about all we know in terms of the specifics as Stefanski was able to enlighten us just a tad uh, through the, the Cleveland media. Joe Judge did not offer any specifics to the Giants media before they left yesterday. Well, any situations to me are certainly a positive, no matter what you have an opportunity to showcase against an unfamiliar opponent, whether it's a two-minute drill, whether it's red zone work. Also, what happens with joint practices a lot, and we've seen this even 
with what was showcased on Hard Knocks. The Cowboys had some joint practices so far, and what happens is sometimes the teams, they'll go off and they'll work on an individual basis amongst themselves, and then when the teams get together to run a 7-on-7 or 11-on-11, you know, then you'll see the team's joint forces. That's sometimes how certain joint practices have been structured. Remember, every team's different, but I wouldn't be surprised if they follow a similar game plan. I think one of the things that I would love to see, and I'll be heading out tomorrow, John Schmelk's already out there today, and so you folks understand, the practices with the Giants and Browns won't be starting until a little after 2 o'clock in the afternoon on both days, which is why we did not bring John on to give us a report this morning because there's nothing to see at the moment. They haven't hit the practice field. Uh, But John will be there this afternoon. I'm sure he'll be uh, guesting on BBK tomorrow to have a report on what happened today. And then, of course, uh, as I said, I'll be out there for tomorrow's practice session leading into Sunday's game. Now, one thing to keep in mind here, I think, is that the one-on-ones, to me, are, are going to be very telling. I want to see the offensive line and defensive line do the one-on-one drills. Now, they do that individually within their own team practices. I'm very curious to see if the Browns and Giants do those one-on-one line drills against each other. So, in other words, you could have Miles Garrett and Andrew Thomas locking up in a one-on-one. That's what I would really like to see, as opposed to, you know, in the preseason game, you got the whole line going up against the whole line. I'm kind of interested right now into seeing how those one-on-ones might turn out with those linemen. So let's hope that the coaches give us a share of those, as well as the receivers and defensive backs. I mean, you've seen it, Lance, at practice. They'll run the ghost routes, and then they'll say, okay, now we're going to do one-on-ones with the safeties in the corners against the wide receivers. And usually they'll do those in the red zone, and they'll do one-on-ones from the 20. I'm, I'm anxious to see those two because the Giants receivers, this is a very accomplished bunch that's got a lot of high praise so far. Well, now they get to go up against somebody else. So that, that could be kind of fun to see. And then the other thing, the defensive backs. We've all talked about them during the course of this month. They've been dynamite. This secondary is going to be amongst the best in the NFL. Well, you know what? The Browns have some pretty good receivers. I'd like to see them do some one-on-one stuff against those guys. Yeah, you have Odell Beckham, you have Jarvis Landry, they got a few tight ends. So, once again, both sides of the equation, you could argue it's going to be beneficial. I'm with you in terms of the individual drills for the offensive linemen, but I do think it's important for this unit to get team reps going up against that Cleveland unit because... When you get to a game situation, yes, you do need to win your one-on-one battles, but at the same time, you also need to make sure that the communication is intact. And that, to me, is going to be a big part of whether or not this Giants offensive line is going to have some success this season. Lance, uh, there's no question that the sum of the entire whole of the offensive line is much more important than the individual parts. I totally concur with you when you play games. But at this particular moment in time, when you're evaluating guys, which is what this is about right now, It's not about the whole line. It's about evaluating guys. The whole line, you do want chemistry. You want gelling. You want them to progress as a whole in the games. I completely agree with you. But right now, what what I think you want to see is how they do in the one-on-one matchups because many times when you get into a game, 
you're not going to be able to rely on the guy next to you. You're going to have to win your one-on-one matchup. You are going to be isolated because the defense is going to do things with their pre-snap formation that's going to force your guy to be on an island, especially your tackles, where they're going to have to be up one-on-one against a very fierce opponent on the other side. And because the Browns have some guys who are pretty rugged up front, I do think that those one-on-one drills, if you will, would be very, very valuable for the Giants. Sure, and I don't disagree with you there. I guess I'm looking at it more from the standpoint of if there are breakdowns, how does your fellow offensive lineman react? Do you pass off a defender, the running back in terms of pass protection? All of those things, you're not going to necessarily get a read on in individual drills. But yes, when it comes to the level of execution within those dynamics, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a one-on-one battle. You have to make sure you take care of your assignment because if you don't, it doesn't matter whether you have sometimes two running backs in the backfield. They can only handle offensive linemen for so long to protect your quarterback. So that point is well taken. Yes, yes. I mean, it would it would probably do wonders for Matt Paird's confidence if he's able to stone Jadavion Clowney, even though I think Clowney's a very overrated player and has been his whole career. Uh, well, he's been Paird, banged up. Injuries have been an issue. But if Paird can stone him in one-on-ones, I think that would do him a whole lot of good going into the games. I'm glad you brought up Matt Paird because I want to not necessarily go off on a whole tangent, but I want to focus a little bit more in greater detail on the offensive line. And so glad you could tune in here to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you. 201-939-4513 as we're getting you set for the start of joint practices between the Giants and the Browns leading into Sunday's preseason game. Matt Paert only played, Paul, 15% of the offensive snaps last season. That's 150 total. And the reason why I keep emphasizing that is Jason Garrett earlier this week said the same thing that Joe Judge has said both publicly and privately. And that is the fact that the whole point of these joint practices of the preseason is to get these young guys, specifically the ones that fall under the umbrella of Matt Paird, where you have a guy who's entering year two, but even though he's entering year two, you have to take into consideration he still didn't get a wealth of experience last season. If you look at, Paul, Shane Lemieux and Andrew Thomas compared to Matt Paird, There is a noticeable disparity between the two. And the other day, actually, I tweeted out the snap counts because I wanted to emphasize this because, you know, everybody's putting these offensive linemen under the microscope. And I get that. And you do want to see progression and improvement out of the unit overall and the individual pieces. But when Matt Parrott has an assignment where maybe it doesn't go smoothly, to me, it's not necessarily the end of the world because he's still such a raw offensive lineman. So Andrew Thomas, Paul, 96% of the offensive snaps he played last season. Shane Lemieux, who, remember, did not start the bulk of the season until Will Hernandez, unfortunately, had to deal with COVID. He finished with 50% of the snaps. Nick Gates played 100% of the snaps. Will Hernandez, even though he then lost his starting job, still played 52% of the snaps. And then you get to Matt Paird, 15%. So look at where Matt Paird is compared to the rest of the offensive linemen. Paul, it's night and day. That's why a guy like that... Every single snap, whether it's in practice or the preseason, is 10 times more valuable, I would argue, compared to the other offensive linemen. Not that they shouldn't get work in, but Matt Parrott has a lot of catching up to do to get to the same level as the other four offensive linemen when it comes to simply experience. Hence the reason that Joe Judge wanted Nate Solder to come back. Yeah. I mean, really, that says it right there in a nutshell. 
understanding that Parrott is not nearly as far along as the other young linemen, including Nick Gates. Remember now, one season at center. Sure. I mean, he's still growing into the position. Let's not kid ourselves. He's not a finished product yet, okay? But but Parrott, with the smallest sample size of all the young linemen who are going to be up front, this is the guy who is going to need the most room to grow. And the Giants understand that right now they need immediate production. I mean, they got to come out of the gate facing the Denver Broncos front and the Washington football team's front. Now, remember what happened last year when they opened up against the Steelers and Pittsburgh's dominant front basically, uh, can we say, gave them kind of a beating? I think that's fair. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. Something tells me those two guys are two of the premier defensive linemen in the league. And that was kind of ugly, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Now, Thomas is further along, no doubt. I do believe he's improved. And I do think he'll fare better against Denver than he did against Pittsburgh last year. He darn well better. I'll tell you that right now. The expectation is that he will. But paired, because he's played so little, if you if you work to be concerned about the learning curve and the greenness, if you will, about anybody on that line, Paired would be the guy who's the greenest. And so if I were Denver and or Washington, that's the guy that I would be working against. Sure. I would definitely concentrate on trying to attack him. And so what do the Giants do? Well, they make sure that Nate Solder comes back into the fold as the swing tackle. And it would not shock me because they need immediate production. It would not shock me if if Paired gets his head handed to him for lunch, you know, in the first quarter or the first half of either one of those early games, even a month into the season, I don't think it would shock you either if Nate Solder suddenly came off the bench and took the rest of the snaps the rest of the Sunday. Not at all. I also wouldn't be surprised, Paul, and I'm curious your thoughts. Maybe they look to rotate the two guys a little bit. They could. Right? That's not impossible. They did it with with Fleming last year. Sure. It's not impossible. So, you know, I, I think... The expectation is that Parrott will win the job. That's the hope and the expectation. But he's got to be on a short leash. He has to be. And that's the reason why an experienced guy, a professional like Nate Solder, is still on this team. He told us that Joe Judge called him during the offseason, and he was kind of waffling a little bit. And Joe Judge said, no, Nate, I need you. I want you to come back. We want you on this team. And Nate said that that made his decision easy. There was no doubt he was going to come back for Joe Judge. And that's that's what he is. He is the security blanket who may, who may, and again, this is a three-letter word, but it has an awful lot of meaning, he may wind up either taking some snaps from Parrot, or he may, in fact, wind up being the starter. I think all of those options are on the table. Cam Fleming, by the way, played 90% of the offensive snaps last season. Just to give you an idea even though they rotate a little bit with Matt Paird. But the rotation wasn't in every down, every series type of thing. That's what's important to note. And I think, just piggybacking off of your point, Paul, if you ask the Giants coaching staff, they want the ideal game plan to be carried out. And the ideal game plan is Matt Paird is your starter and Matt Paird gets a boatload of reps this season. Because if they're going to develop this young offensive line, the best way to develop guys is to get them out on the field, not get the mental reps, not watch from the sideline, put them out there, 
okay? And turn that rawness into more of a proven commodity. So I think if you ask most of the members of the Giants coaching staff, ideally, we want Matt Pear to be the starter. We want him to run away with things. We want him to be on the field more often than not. Because no disrespect to Nate Solder, and I've said this more often than not over the course of the offseason, it's a must to have him on the roster. His value is immeasurable, okay? But I don't think Nate Solder's in their long-term plans. I don't think they're saying, hey, Nate Solder's going to be our right tackle for the next three to four years. No. If anything, you know, Matt Parrott is within that plan. So that's why they want him to play as much as possible. But at the same time, they also need to look at who gives them the best chance to win, who executes consistently. You're not just going to put a guy out there just because you want to give him reps. You also want to make sure that they're productive reps. So that's the fine line that the Giants coaching staff has to walk. But I think they're trying to position themselves through the preseason and these joint practices and the grind they're going through on a daily basis to make sure that Matt Parrott is physically and mentally ready to be the right tackle. And then if things don't go according to plan, they at least feel good that they have a polished veteran swing tackle who is number two on the depth chart to protect, I don't want to just say Matt Parrott, but also Andrew Thomas. Okay, let's not forget about that because the good thing about Nate Solder is he can play both left and right tackle. Has not played right since his rookie year in 2011, but you at least feel good that he's somebody that has a lot more experience. You know he could go into a game without many reps, and he could at least handle his business because this is not his first rodeo. So that's why having a veteran-proven commodity was so important for them to have in the mix, and that's why, to your point, as you described a few moments ago, I'm not surprised that Joe Judge picked up the phone, and I don't want to maybe say campaigned hard. Maybe that's not the ideal way to describe it, but he certainly wanted Nate Solder to feel as if you have value on this team. And if you want to come back, you still want to play football, we're not just bringing you back so you could be a test dummy to practice with everybody. We have a role for you, and I think that's been carried out thus far. Well, it's very critical that if Parrott doesn't get the job done, they need to be able to pull that trigger quickly. Yeah. Because let's face it, if, if he stays in there and isn't doing well, and he is showing too many growing pains. Now, that doesn't mean, and let's make this clear, Lance, we got to get this out of the way right now. If Paird starts to struggle at the beginning of the season, it doesn't mean he's a wasted draft pick. It doesn't mean he's a bust. It simply means that the Giants know that they need to win games now. They need to get Daniel Jones the best opportunity that he can have to try to get the Giants to the next level. And if that means that Nate Solder is the, quote, sure thing or the guy that's more comfortable at that position, then they'll pull the trigger quickly. Parrot will go off to the side. He'll either share some reps or, for that matter, who knows? Maybe Solder comes in, plays really well, and he stays in there for the rest of the season, and Matt Pert becomes a redshirt in his sophomore year. And then next summer, he then becomes uh, another guy who was going to have to mature and accelerate the process and become a contender for the starting job. Do not, by any stretch of the imagination, label Matt Parrott a bust if he can't hold the job. Like you said, he had a very small sample size last year. So right now, you know what he is? He's about three feet ahead of being a rookie. Yeah. To be fair. Sure. That's, that's where he is. You know, Andrew Thomas is yards ahead of being a rookie because he's truly a second-year starter. Matthew Parrott is only a few feet ahead of being a rookie. So let's just make that very clear now. 
The Giants need to give Daniel Jones a real chance to excel and to take it to the next level. And if Solder does that now, that's okay. Matthew Paird can still be the future. Well, let's break down some math because I think your point is well taken once again with respect to that he's not that far removed from still being a rookie. If Matt Parrott had 150 snaps, you spread that over 16 games. Paul, that means that he got, on average, nine snaps a game last season. I mean, that's nothing. Nine snaps compared to how much the offense is out there overall. I mean, actually, in the perfect comparison, Andrew Thomas played 976 snaps. So if you do the math from that standpoint... He averaged 61 snaps. 61 compared to nine? Come on. I mean, it's not even fair to have a conversation where we're comparing the two. It's ridiculous. The amount of experience that Andrew Thomas absorbed last season compared to Matt Parrott. And here's the other thing. Even if Nate Solder does play a more prominent role in the early stages of the season, what happened last year? Once again, nobody wishes injury upon anybody. Nobody wishes COVID to create any headaches, but I think realistically, there may be some interruptions over the course of this season. Other teams are anticipating that. So even if you're an offensive lineman and maybe you don't start in the early stage of the season, there could very well be a few games at some point where they're going to call on you to step in because maybe you lose a starter. Once again, nobody has a crystal ball, but to say that only the five starting offensive linemen are going to define this team this year. I completely disagree with that because clearly five offensive linemen didn't play last season. We talked about Shane Lemieux, and Shane Lemieux wasn't penciled in as a starter in the early stages of the season. And then Matt Paird got some work too. So you have to take that sixth, that seventh, that eighth offensive lineman into consideration because when it's all said and done, I wouldn't be surprised if those guys get a spot starter too. And then here's the other thing that we may see. Jason Garrett could go big. And he could add an extra offensive lineman, which means that sixth offensive lineman, that swing tackle, could get some normal reps within the offensive flow. So that player is going to hold value whether they play a lot or whether they play a little. I don't think you can overlook that. Not at all. Uh, to further illustrate, I'm looking at the game-by-game snaps for Matt Parrott last year. He never played more than 26 snaps in any individual game. 26 against Washington, 24 against Tampa, 24 against Washington in the rematch. Those are the only three games during which he took more than 20 snaps at offensive tackle. That's it. So not one time did he take even 30 snaps in a game. Yeah. And only three times did he take more than 17 snaps in a game. Which, let's face it, Lance, you also know this too, and I'm sure the fans are aware of this. Offensive linemen, they got to get into a rhythm too. And they will tell you that a lot of what they do is about setting guys up, just like defensive pass rushers are trying to set guys up. There's a lot of mind games going on there. And a lot of it is, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and then later on I'm going to come back and show you this, but I'm going to do this. It's it, The bottom line is, with the small sample size that Parrott was able to put on the field last year, it was good experience for him. There's no doubt he understands the speed of the game now, and he has gotten a look at some very high-quality NFL players. So there is benefit to what they did, and I think that was intentional by Joe Judge, that he did what he did with Parrott to give him a leg up on 2021. But it is not a huge leg up. It was kind of like a cupcake. 
They didn't give him a full meal. They gave him a cupcake. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they didn't give him the full cake. They only gave him a cupcake. I thought that's where you were going with the well, full desserted allergy. All right, I tell you what. They, they, they gave him a small dish of bread with a little olive oil, but he didn't get the full loaf. Is that okay? That's fine. Yes, I, I think now we can fully digest that and understand that to run with it. Yes. Very nice. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You could use hashtag Giants Chat. I want to get to somebody on the defensive side of the ball that is equivalent to what we're talking about with Matt Paird because I think it's important to see it both ways. But before we get to that, few reminders. Don't miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season is now underway, but there is still time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with the Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888 888- NYG 1925. Also, take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. And on September 26th, Giants fans, watch the Giants retire Eli Manning's jersey in style. We are offering an exclusive suite package, which includes Eli Bobbleheads, jerseys, t-shirts, and more. You can speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925, select option number four. As we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Thursday's edition, Lance Meadow, Paul DeTino with you. We take you up till noon Eastern. We were talking about Matt Paert, the dynamics of the offensive line, how there's still some rawness to him, and why it's so important that he gets as many snaps as possible. Now, I want to go over to the defensive side of the ball because I think someone similar that applies, who also was a high draft pick, that Patrick Graham sort of got into that a little bit when he spoke to the media, is Xavier McKinney, Paul, because McKinney is another guy that didn't get a wealth of experience last season, and I would say he's not that far removed from still being a rookie. Actually, if you recall when McKinney spoke to the media, I believe somebody asked him a question, do you still feel like a rookie? And McKinney even flat out admitted, you know what, I do feel like a rookie because, once again, I didn't get out there for many games, and I'm paraphrasing what he had to say. McKinney last year, right around Matt Paird, he played... 19% of the defensive snaps. He played 210 snaps. Now, he appeared in a total of six games. So, once again, that was at the very tail end of the season. He got the interception to close out that final game against the Dallas Cowboys. But here's another guy, Paul, I would argue. The preseason action, the joint practices, the looks you give him, just as valuable as Matt Paird. Now, the only difference I would say is in the safety situation for the Giants— you have Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan. So if McKinney's not out there for snap number one every game, it's not necessarily the end of the world because you have some proven commodities. Maybe a little bit different on the offensive line because you don't have as many options with respect to what you're working with at safety. So a little bit different from that standpoint, but still, I don't think the experience factor that we're talking about is on opposite ends of the spectrum. No, I I understand the point, although it does seem to me that Xavier McKinney is much further along than Matthew Pear. And, yes, he had more more snaps, especially in the final six weeks of the season when he was playing quite a bit in the three-safety package. But I, I think we would both agree that Xavier McKinney seems to be a much further along developed player 
player at this stage of their careers, no? Sure. No, I think that's fair. But even if he's a little bit more developed, and part of that also is the program he came from, the coaching he received, Alabama, Nick Saban, the level of competition. No disrespect to Matt Parrott, but he came from UConn. A little bit different in terms of the transition. So I wholeheartedly agree with you there. But even a guy that may be a little bit more polished, six games is nothing. For most rookies, if you were to walk away and say you only appeared in six games, that is nothing. When you do the math of 16 games, and now rookies are going to have to play 17, right. six is still very, very small. No, I, I look, it's, it's still a small sample size. I think that um, if you're the Giants right now and you're trying to figure out, you know, you're Patrick Graham, how you want to uh, deploy these safeties, we all believe Okay, and we may be totally wrong. Who knows? But we all believe that, you know, Peppers will be more in the box. Okay, fine. And we all believe that Logan Ryan is going to be more of that that joker, the guy who's going to be in charge of the disguises, and who knows where he's going to line up. And I think we kind of believe that Xavier McKinney is going to wind up being more of the coverage guy, the lockdown guy, the one-on-one guy, maybe the guy who picks up the tight end in man-to-man coverage, maybe the guy who cheats down into the slot, the guy who might wind up playing some center field. I think that's kind of how we think these three safeties are going to play. But not being inside Patrick Graham's head right now, he certainly has the option to make some changes there. He doesn't have to play those three guys in that way, which is where McKinney is going to have to accelerate his development because the more that he learns, you know, quickly, the more chances that Patrick Graham's going to have to start swapping these guys' roles. And that's a little bit different. Sure. Matt Parrott's going through. Matt Parrott knows he's supposed to be right tackle, correct? Yeah. So so he kind of can concentrate on one playbook, depending upon what Patrick Graham wants to do, and we know he likes to shuffle those boxes around like a Rubik's Cube, McKinney, in all likelihood, his playbook is a lot bigger than Matthew Parrott's. He's, he's got a lot of options on every play. Yeah, it's not like they're going to Matt Parrott and they're telling him, hey, tomorrow you're going to be a center, or the yeah. next day you're going to be a left guard. It's exactly. more of... Hey, focus on your position. But see, that's my point, Paul. I think what you just spelled out, and I'm not saying that we were disagreeing with this, but that's more of a reason why I think the experience for McKinney is so critical. Because if you are going to McKinney and you're telling him, hey, today we're going to play at safety. Tomorrow you're going to be in the slot. That's a lot more that you want to be able to play out in practice or a preseason game so that you're comfortable in the event that week five of the regular season, they go to McKinney and they're like, hey, McKinney, today you're going to be mainly a slot guy. And you know McKinney's comfortable because he got X amount of reps in that position. Lance, I think he's going to be changing things up almost series by series, play by play. I don't even think it's going to be, okay, you're going to get the bulk of your work this week. That may happen on occasion. But I'm pretty sure that knowing Patrick Graham as we do, there are going to be all kinds of change-ups in-game with these three safeties, which makes it all the more important that McKinney gets the classwork down. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Because Patrick Graham is certainly not going to make it very predictable for opposing offenses. So he could very well move personnel around, yeah. See, Parrott knows if he's playing right tackle, not only does he know that he's got to study just one position – But he pretty much knows that there's probably going to be only two guys that he's got to worry about on the other side of the line of scrimmage, right? 
He knows he's got to worry about the starting left tackle. He may have to worry about that starting edge rusher over there. Uh, and potentially maybe a guy who might flip-flop sides. Okay? So, so he's going to look at their films and look at their tendencies. If you're Xavier McKinney, think about what you've got to know about your opponent. You're going to have to know both of their receivers. You're going to have to know both of their tight ends. You're going to have to know their slot guy. So you're really going to need three wide receivers to know. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Right? And, and that's not just three, probably even four. Plus the, plus the tight ends. When they, when they go up against, you know, teams that maybe use double tight ends in, in passing routes. And and he's also probably going to have to know a little bit about that scat back coming out of the backfield. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Well, because if he plays down in the box, he may be responsible for mirroring that guy. So, I mean, and let's not forget the other factor here, too. Don't be surprised if because of the Giants' ability to cover man-to-man with their two corners, now that Jackson was signed to play opposite Bradbury, don't be surprised if the Giants suddenly decide to use more safety blitzes. And with three safeties on the field, if you're an offensive coordinator or you're a quarterback, how are you going to figure out which one of those three guys is coming on a safety blitz pre-snap? Sure. That's more of a reason, though, why McKinney would want to study the running back in pass protection, his strengths and weaknesses, and also get an idea of the offensive line too, especially if they do bring him closer to the line of scrimmage and he's called on to blitz here or there. That's a thick playbook he's going to have. Yeah. No, there's no (laughs) doubt about it. Well, and that's why I wanted to bring him up because when we were talking about Matt Parrott, I think it's just, it's important for the fan base to understand that these guys are not necessarily going to be finished products overnight. And I understand you watch preseason snaps and you spec, well, he was with the team all of last year. There should be a huge jump or a huge adjustment period. But then when you look at the Matt Pertz and you look at the other individuals, such as a McKinney, you then realize, well, yeah, they were on the team last year. But there really wasn't a wealth of experience there that they absorb compared to a typical player. And I think that tends to get overlooked compared to what we see elsewhere. Well, you know, Lance, that's what made people so excited about McKinney. Because in the final two games of the season at Baltimore and then against Dallas in the game that kept the Giants alive for the postseason, McKinney really balled out. He didn't play like a rookie. He accelerated his game to such a high level. Remember, he started the last month of the season, but those last two games is when he truly made an impact on defense. Now, I get it. They did lose to the Ravens. It was an ugly game. And we know that Lamar Jackson, you know, ran kind of crazy. I get all of that. But don't, don't hesitate for just a second, or should I say don't hesitate. Go back and look at how well McKinney played in that game. And then against Dallas was terrific against the Cowboys in that final uh, final game of the regular season. And I think that's what made Giants fans and, and people in general, even outside, start talking about this kid like, oh, my God, look at him. He's a rookie. He missed the whole first half of the season. Then they sprinkled him in just a touch, and all of a sudden, here it is now, the final two games, and he's balling out like like he's played the entire year. And, and so I think that... You're right. May have been unrealistic to to heap real heavy expectations on him. But I also think that during those final two games, he showed he could kind of handle those responsibilities. 
201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we are previewing the upcoming joint practices with the Cleveland Browns. Also getting you set for the second preseason game, which will come on Sunday afternoon against the Browns. And let's start to look ahead to that preseason game a little bit, Paul. Based on what we saw in game number one, we obviously noticed that the coaching staff was looking at this game as a true evaluation period to see the guys on the back end of the roster, what they could do. Joe Judge made it very clear, we're going to treat game one similar to how we would have treated game four when everybody had four preseason games. Okay, so now we move a little bit forward. We have the middle game of three preseason games. And based on what Joe Judge has indicated, and he hasn't necessarily laid out his ideal game plan for everybody to consume, but I think if we're reading into it, we're going to see a little bit more work from the starters. We're going to see a few more starters out there in this game because the goal is Let's get more and more comfortable as we inch closer to the opener against the Denver Broncos. So if fans are looking for, okay, well, what can I expect out of Sunday's game? I'm expecting more starters to get snaps because now I think they're at the point where they want to evaluate those guys and they want to start to build a little bit more chemistry. I'm going to take a wild guess here, Lance, and maybe it's not such a wild guess, but it is a guess nonetheless because Joe Judge has not given us any idea of what his player deployment is going to be in Cleveland. But I'm along the lines of what you're thinking. I would say the starters on both sides of the ball maybe play two series apiece, and that might even get them a full quarter of action. I don't think you'll see them after that. I think that's fair. Yeah. But I'm expecting at least some work. I'm not expecting an overwhelming amount of snaps, but I do think they're at the point where they want to see their starters out there cohesively together. And I don't think that's asking for much. No, no. And, you know, I think uh, um, one of the other things that, you know, we need to keep in mind, and we've said this on the program many a times before, this is still an evaluation period, okay? I, I talked about this extensively during yesterday's show, and I will mention it one more time today. It's clear to me that Joe Judge, unlike Bill Parcells, and I don't mean to compare the two, but it is important to contrast the philosophies that they have during the preseason. Parcells thought that there was value in winning preseason games. He thought that it formed good attitudes and good habits on the field and set examples for some of the younger players when you saw that you won those preseason games. His preseason record is amongst the best that that's ever been in the NFL because he did have some uh, stock in that philosophy. Joe Judge, it seems to me, this is the first preseason we've had. Remember, we didn't have a preseason last August. It seems to me he is one of those coaches who strictly looks at the preseason as an evaluation tool and the final score is totally irrelevant to him. Would yeah. you agree? 100% agree. I even go back to the first preseason game. I think there were circumstances where Joe Judge, in the back of his mind, said, yeah, maybe in a regular game I'll go for it on fourth down, but it probably makes more sense to give Thomas McGahee and the rest of the staff an opportunity what some of these guys could do on special teams. So I think that was, to me, an example of it's more about getting players in positions where we can mimic things that we're going to see in the regular season as opposed to are we going to get into scoring position so we can win a meaningless game in the big picture of things. Great point, Lance, because I was thinking that when I was on the sideline on the field at MetLife Stadium for that Jets game, and I, and I think I even said this at one point during my sideline report 
uh, during the contest is that, hey, Joe Judge is getting a ton of work for the punt coverage team yeah. tonight. And we know he values special teams a lot. And we also know they've churned the bottom of the roster for special teams guys to come in. So why not get them a whole lot of extra work in game action because that's your best chance to evaluate. And I certainly think that that was a big plus. 100%. I mean, that was what went through my mind. If you remember, and I believe I'm accurate with this, remember there was that delay of game penalty on the fourth down, right, Paul, when it looked like they were going to go for it? And part of my thinking when I was watching that, I said to myself, something tells me Judge wants to see what his punt unit can do. Coverage-wise, he just he wants to get a look for some of these guys, the Gunners and so forth, because you know they looked at Matt Cole and they wanted to see what some of these other guys could do who were just added to the roster. Remember, Cam Brown played sure. on the. He was he got a lot of snaps there. He didn't play any defensive snaps in the he last did game. Not. Yeah, and that's because I think they have an understanding of the flavor that he brings to the defense. Whatever situational substitutions he might play in, I think they already have somewhat of an idea of how they can use Cam Brown on defense. So what did Judge do? He said, okay, against the Jets, you're strictly going to play special teams. We want to get a better focus as to what you can do in this specialized role. And that's a great point, Lance. And there's a tremendous example of, of what we're talking about. It's funny because Thomas McGahee spoke to the media the other day, and he was asked about, hey, how great was it that you got your punter a lot of work, you got to evaluate your special teams unit, and McGahee, it sort of seemed as if he was biting his tongue a little bit because he didn't want to maybe admit that, well, some of that was by design, but you could tell he was very excited, the fact that he was able to evaluate most of his personnel. Look, look, whether or not we're reaching a little bit here, I think it's kind of an educated guess, but there's no way a coach is going to come out and say, sure, we really wanted to get our punt unit a whole lot of work. What's that going to sound like to the fans? And I get that, but but in the truest sense of evaluation, there's an incredibly important piece of information that they were gathering from each one of those opportunities. Yeah, and that's just something for a little bit more food for thought for fans to understand when you're watching preseason games that sometimes things are orchestrated previously because the whole purpose is evaluation. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's open up the phone lines. You can also use hashtag Giants Chat. Len is in Maryland. He joins us here on Thursday's edition. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Len. Doing all right. What do you got for us? Cam Brown, Burtonsville, Maryland, just about two miles away from where I'm standing right now, and I'm rooting for him. I hope he, hope he makes an impact with the Giants. Um, He's got something, Paul, Len. He's got something. I, the the yeah. kid can play. Yeah. Yeah. Athletic, long, tough kid. Hope it works. Uh, Paulie, Joe Walton. Yeah. Those were, those were three wonderful years, 61, 62, 63. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, and I was remiss on the show the other day. I did not mention it. Joe Walton, uh, who was the Giants' first-ever true tight end, came yes. over came over to the team in 61, uh, played with Tittle in those three seasons, went to NFL championship games, uh, caught uh, several passes, uh, three touchdown passes of uh, Tittle's seven in the yep. record-breaking game against Washington. Yep. Uh, 85 years old. 
I got to know Joe after he was with the Giants as a player. Remember, he was an assistant coach, did some yeah, scouting yeah. work, was with yeah. the Jets as a head coach, an assistant with the Steelers. I got to know him really well as the head coach at Robert Morris University uh, in the Northeast Conference. I've been doing 20 years of college football with the NEC. I got to know Joe so well. Len, it would warm your heart to know how much he loved the Giants organization and how much he loved Wellington Mara. From the very first time that I talked to Joe as the uh, NEC's football play-by-play guy, and I had to prep for a game, and I introduced myself, and I told him, I said, Joe, I'm, I'm going to be doing the games and blah. Oh, what, what do you do? And I told him. I said, I'm a football guy, and I cover the Giants, and uh, you know, I'm very, very good friends with Wellington Mara. Immediately, the iceberg broke because Joe was not known in his days in New York when he was head coach of the Jets as a very media-friendly kind of guy. Yeah. But as soon as he heard that I covered the Giants and that I'm friendly with Wellington Mara, immediately the, the heat turned on, the iceberg melted, and from that moment on, for as long as he was coaching before he retired some years ago, we had a tremendous relationship. And every time I would talk to him, his first questions were always about the Giants. And it was that? a pleasure to know Joe yeah. Walton. So God bless yeah, yeah. him and his family. Condolences. Oh, yeah. Those were lots of memories about those three years, Paul. Those were those were, those were great years. And and let me say, as as usual, you beat me to it. I thought I was I was going to bring up a big trivia point, but you you jumped to it, rightly so. First tight end in Giants history. Right around 1960, that became a new position in pro football. Correct. Uh, up to that point, they were flankers and receivers, not wide yes, receivers, sir. just receivers yep. and flankers. And um, I, I think I think Sid Gilman in L.A. J- uh, jumped everybody and really had really had the first tight end in pro football. But Joe was our first tight end in '61. Well, you got to remember, pounds, yeah. But pounds, the the key was they had made the trade with San Francisco to get Y.A. Tittle, and so they yes. knew uh, with Ali Sherman becoming the new head coach. Remember, he had succeeded yes. Jim Lee Howell. They right. knew that Allie was going to want to wing the ball around the field. Oh, my goodness. Did so, he ever. Yeah. So, so, you know, when, when they wound up, you know, getting Joe from uh, Washington at that time, the Washington Redskins, okay, I'm going to yes. make sure yes. we clarify that. Yes. At For that sure. time, they got Joe, and Joe was actually a pretty good deep threat because yeah. he, he would get downfield. Yeah. And so they knew that when they brought him in and made him – the Giants, you know, first tight end, really, in, right. in their modern history, that right. he would be a favored target for Tittle. And he was. Yeah. Tittle loved him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And listen, he couldn't have weighed more than 210 pounds, Paul. Well, trust me, he didn't weigh a whole lot more when I knew him either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, just, 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 uh, just to comment on Pert. Um, in my opinion, if Matt Pert isn't the right tackle this year, Full-time. People in Quest Center, on the football operations side and maybe even on the business side, up to ownership, are going to be bitterly disappointed, guys. I mean, oh, we're counting. Uh, we talked about think, this before. Think, I know you did. I know you did. But don't you think that organization, our organization, is thinking about Pert in those terms? They're not thinking they, about they, You're sure. right. They want him to win the job yes. out of training okay. camp. But if okay. if he doesn't, 
and it goes a little bit slowly and his his curve is a little bit higher than maybe you'd like it to be that doesn't mean he's a bust okay okay i just think they want this to work out that way of course well why wouldn't they want it to work out you think they drafted him that high to say nah you know he's going to just be a complimentary piece of course they wanted to succeed and that's why they're trying to give him as much experience as possible but i think at the same time they're protecting themselves with having nate solder on the roster and that's pretty much what we got into earlier three years ago paulie i met you at training camp and uh, we were at the one end uh, up, up by the main building where you guys come in and out of, and we got a few minutes together, and I said to you, man, Sterling Shepard looks great this training camp, and he certainly looked great that day that I was there. And you said to me, Len, look who he's working against. Is Shepard having a great camp, Paulie? Yes, he is, and he's working against some pretty damn good defensive backs this year, yes, too. Yes, All right, I just wanted to make sure, because I remember that comment. You kind of set me back a bit when you said it. Uh, but it did. When I think back on it, it really did make a little sense three years ago. Three years ago. <laughs> well, thank you, Len. Glad yeah. to enlighten you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, guys. Hey, um, let's go. Oh, let me. Let me. One. One more quick question. Darnay Holmes. Do you. Do you guys sense a little? Oh, I don't want to say disappointment. Um, not quite as excited about Darnay Holmes as they were when they drafted him. Not at all. I think it's exactly okay. the opposite. Okay. Okay. All right. I just somehow get the feeling um, they're, they're a little not as excited about Darnay as I was hoping they would do. And one other quick one. First boundary corner off the bench, Paul and Lance, who, who do you think that is right now? <sighs> wow. Could I mean, be? is it really Rodarius? Is it is it, is it Rodarius? Uh, I wouldn't rule out Julian Love. Is it Madre? Is it Madre Harper? I think right now they're trying to work through that. See, if Aaron Robinson was off of Pup and we saw more of him, he'd probably be my answer. I don't know if I would say Rodarius Williams is in the driver's seat because once again, that was his first game action, and we saw there were some ups and downs. I would not rule out once again. Julian Love is an interchangeable player, and if somebody got hurt. Julian Love, to me, is somebody. And here's the other guy. Let's see what Josh Jackson does now that they're going to get him in camp as they acquired him from the Packers. He could eventually have that role when it's all said and done, but we haven't seen him in a Giants uniform yet, so it's way too premature. I think if you need that third corner now on the outside, it would be Love. But I would say this. Don't be surprised if by the second half of the season, Rodarius Williams makes a charge for it. All right, well, give me give – me... Give me, give me one sentence on Madre Harper, who I like for his physicality. I think he brings a physicality to that corner spot. Tell me, what, what do you think about Harper? Madre his, Harper his, is his a very to be that guy. Madre Harper is a very good special teams player. Now he may not have all the speed and the quicks to be a terrific cover corner. But okay. there's value for him on special teams, and for that reason, I give him a chance to make the 53 for sure. Oh, I think so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, thanks, guys. Hey, you got it, Len. Appreciate the phone call. Remember, keep this in mind. When you're talking about the back end of the roster for the secondary, they have made two trades over the last few days. Now, I know Crossin's more of a special teams guy, but the reason why they're making some of these changes is, A, to help their special teams. That goes without saying. But, B, I think it's also because they're still maybe not sold on how things are going to play out when it comes to 
the sixth, the seventh, the eighth guy in the secondary. So that's more of a reason. I think the writing is on the wall. And listen, this is just my personal opinion. When you're making moves and you're doing them consistently, I think they may have seen guys at practice and, you know, they see them flash, but maybe there's not as much consistency and they want to see if there's a way to bolster the back end. So I don't think anybody's a lock. To have any defined role would be my response. But Madre Harper, this is also a guy, and this goes back to our experience conversation or the lack thereof with McKinney and Perry. Undrafted player last year out of Southern Illinois. Started off with the Raiders and then wound up signing with the Giants in October. So Harper's entering year two in the National Football League. He is far from a finished product when it comes to just being a pure secondary player is what I'm referring to. Still, there's some rawness there with respect to him. So that's another important element within this conversation. But Josh Jackson, who they just acquired from the Packers, second round pick of 2018, he's certainly a player that is intriguing because he's now reunited with some familiar faces, including Patrick Graham. There's a reason why he was drafted in the second round in 2018. It's a change of environment. Does that now set him on a different path? So he may be somebody that we're talking about that could carve out a role behind the top two starters out on the perimeter. I would certainly watch out for that. I don't know, Paul, why maybe Len did not feel there was as much excitement around Darnay Holmes. I mean, just because a guy is maybe not talked about on a daily basis doesn't mean that the coaching staff has lost any faith in him. I just think it's the nature of there's some depth and there's some competition in the secondary. And it's not just necessarily Darnay Holmes walking into a situation where he's the only guy on the block. So that may be maybe the reason why he's not necessarily the lone guy that we're talking about. I think a lot of people are intrigued by Adore Jackson. Sure. Big free agent signing, so I think he takes a lot of that spotlight away from the other guys in the secondary. But I will say this, okay? Trading for Crossan basically means he's on the team. He'd have to really come in here and screw up. Absolutely. After you've traded for him, not to make it. Well, not to interrupt you, and I'll let you continue, Paul. When they traded for Isaac Yadam, if you remember, they traded for him on September 3rd. He made right. the roster, okay? Sure. So when you make a late trade like that, the reason why they're giving up an asset, even though it wasn't a huge asset, it was a late round pick, the goal is they believe you have value that you're going to showcase that over the course of the regular season. They're not bringing you in so they could borrow you for a few weeks to be a practice player. Right. So the point being, Crossan's going to be on this team, and that's a guy taking a spot now that you pretty much think is almost guaranteed that maybe you didn't think so before. And so now they go and they make a trade for Josh Jackson. Now, Jackson also can play some specials. Yeah. So now you're going to say to yourself, well, they made that trade, so he's probably got a pretty good foothold on a spot too. So now you've got two guys who they just traded for who probably have some roots in the ground on the back end of the depth chart, which before those two guys got here, would have been completely up for grabs due to the competition. Well, and that's why I pointed that out, that there's a lot of interchangeable parts on the back end of the secondary. So some of the guys that were on the team last year, you may feel they have upside, but you know maybe the Giants have some different plans. Now, just to give you an idea, Crossin, by the way, in terms of his snap count, he played 307 snaps on defense last year. Now, that still came out to only 28%, but this is somebody, as you just hit on, can also be considered a corner on the back end. So let's just do this before we wrap up because you got me thinking. How many defensive backs, Paul, do you think they're going to keep? 
We're in the 9 to 10 category. Is that fair? I think it's, I think it's going to be 10. 10. Okay, so let's go with 10. Let's use your number. So if we were to speculate a little bit, and once again. Four for, safeties. Four safeties. Four safeties. Out of the way. Four okay. Safeties. You so, know that. so the safeties, we pretty much know. It's Peppers, Ryan, Love, and McKinney, right? We're in yeah. agreement there. Okay. Yeah. So now we're operating six cornerbacks. Okay. So Bradbury's one. Dory Jackson's two. Darnay Holmes is three. We're putting the two guys they just acquired via trades, right? Because I think we're on the same page. That's yep. five. And then what are we talking about? If Aaron Robinson, let's say he starts the season on PUP or IR. Okay, let's take him out of the equation. Radarius Williams? That's number six. No? I, I think he's he's going to be number six, which then means Madre Harper, the only way he makes the team is if he becomes one of those back end of the roster specialty special teams guys that I've talked about. And and I don't think you were on the show the other day when I mentioned this, Lance, but when the Eagles had the one of the best special teams units in this league for about 10 years, they usually reserved three or four spots on the bottom of their roster for guys who were strictly special teams who they truly knew did not really have any business taking snaps during a game. These guys were, were like so deep on the defenses or offenses depth charts that basically it was break glass in case you need them. That's, that's how, how much they valued them in the regular set. They were strictly special teams guys. This was, this was an Eagles philosophy for many years. Yeah. And now if Judge feels that way, a guy like Madre Harper could sneak onto the roster as one of those guys, which means they've got to steal a spot from somewhere else. Chris Maragos, by the way, is the example that you're talking about on the Philadelphia Eagles. At least that's without a guy that reminds question. me of that. Without question. Yeah. He was a really good special team. He wasn't necessarily known as a safety, but he may have been classified as that, but he made his name as a defensive, as a special teamer, excuse me. Now, let me throw this last thing at you before we wrap up. Another name that we haven't brought up. What if Nate Ebner is ready to go? He then takes a spot away from a defensive back, Paul. Well, Nate Ebner's not going to be here by the time they set the 53. I think that's pretty clear. Okay, but you never know. I'm just saying he's a bit of a wild card, though. I know he's working on some health issues, as Joe Judge had mentioned, but that's a guy, okay, maybe he's not ready to go for the 53, but maybe they bring him back a week or two into the season, depending on how things play out. So that's another guy just to at least take into consideration if Joe Judge is thinking, I want a guy who's that special teams ace. Ebner fits under that profile. That's why Judge has said the door is open to have him back. Yeah. And they've had conversation. And quite frankly, maybe it comes down to somebody gets nicked up either during training camp or the first month of the season. And now Nate Ebner's got to be sitting by that phone waiting to be activated. A lot of movable pieces and things to take into consideration as the Giants round out their roster, specifically on the back end in the secondary. All right, that is going to wrap things up for us here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running again tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern as we will get you up to date with what's happening with respect to joint practices against the Cleveland Browns. We appreciate everybody tuning into today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, enjoy the conversation as always. We'll do it again shortly. It's been a fun hour, Lance. Absolutely. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and we'll speak to you on Friday here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.